Welcome to our podcast, Leadership Theater Unplugged. We are Alexander Meyer and Diana Vista. And together with our guests, we want to inspire and encourage you to rewrite your piece of leadership play. Listen to vulnerable and bloody honest stories of heart-winning and outstanding leaders. Learn about practical and powerful tools, tricks and hacks. In this episode, you will meet Ward Graham. His leadership style is characterized by deep core values and the willingness of being present and taking care of the people. He will share how he has compromised himself due to financial burden and how this has made him suffering even physically. He'll also share some wisdom by his adopted family, Indians from the Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota. His definition of being a good leader and also of success in general is quite different from common understanding. Ward works as executive creative director. He is the founder of his own creative agency. During his career, he helped developing some of the world's most iconic brands, like Marlboro. His project management work led to a global workshop based on better partnering between clients and agencies. He worked and lived in several countries, mainly the US and Germany. Today, his home base is Santa Domingo, the Dominican Republic. Hello and welcome everybody to our next episode of our uh, podcast Leadership Theater Unplugged. Uh, Alexander and I are very happy to welcome Ward Graham today. Hi, Ward. Hello, how are you? <laughs> I'm very fine. Thank you so much. Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm doing good. I'm excited to be with you guys. Yeah, we are also very excited. And uh, you are sitting uh, on the other part of the world right now in the Dominican Republic. <laughs> and it's on, in the morning right on the now. Other, on the other side of the pond. Yeah, I'm on the other side of the pond from you right now. So it's uh, it's late morning, almost lunchtime. But I've had my blueberry <laughs> pancakes, so I'm good to go. And I'm full of envy, honestly, where you are right now. <laughs> I'm all good. I'm all good. Yeah. Yes, what? And you were recommended by, by Boris Bolz, uh, and uh, you were his mentor in, in uh, the early uh, days of his career. And we talked a little bit before this recording. And uh, yeah, it is such a fantastic story. And, and you are such a an interesting character and also very famous character because, um, well, in, in my mind, you are uh, represented now at, as a Mr. Marlboro <laughs> because uh, in the 90s, uh, I guess, you, you were the one who really yeah, created or made, made the Marlboro man alive with all yeah. these. I don't know about that. It was in the 2000s when I went to Germany and met Boris that we Sort of, we, we, uh, we reestablished Marlboro's core values in the consumer's mind. So it wasn't me. There was a lot of people behind me. And so, you know, it was all of us together. Yeah, but I heard so many really fascinating stories about you and about the way you lead. And this is why I'm so happy to, to have you here in our podcast. Uh, because uh, I think, uh, especially for Boris, and when he talked to me, uh, I think this is this was really Uh, something I, I never heard before like that. So I think, um, and I hopefully will, we will learn more about it today, 
you have a very different approach to to interact with people, to lead people, um, to yeah, to see people, and and how to um, bring bring the the best out of people and really unleash the potential of people. Um, so yeah, I'm very 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 happy and looking forward for the next yeah. one one and a half hour. Well, the the thing is, is that I never really I never really had a mentor. I had a lot of people that taught me what I didn't want to do and what I didn't want to be. I never really had a mentor to show me the way. And so for me, I didn't grow into, into a leadership style or anything. I kind of just had my own, my own experiences to, to bring forward. And what I wanted to do was to try to be for others what no one ever was for me. And so, you know, I, I worked from those experiences and all I did was give that focus on giving that to the people and stay focused on the people. And, 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 you know, the, the concept being that if you take care of the people, the business will take care of itself. Okay. Well, that is, that is really interesting. Um, what you just said. And I remember back to our briefing, um, that you mentioned, actually, there have been a few good examples in the past, um, um, where you learn from as well. And, You had bosses and managers um, with where you had some good experiences and you, you, you took a few things from that as well. But listening to what you said, um, you, you, you learned mainly from the negative examples or bad examples you have experienced as managers or bosses, which, you know, to a certain point is, is also logical because it's, you know, it's probably more painful and it sticks more into our memory, this, um, this specific um situations and and leaders but what is really interesting is that you haven't pushed this aside and said i'm ignoring this i want to forget this what you have done is you have taken these examples and said what can i do differently that i'm not this kind of leader and that people who i'm leading have a different experience that is really interesting and i wanted to point out this i haven't heard this so often in podcasts um, that you know a bad experience is turned into a good behavior actually actively But what what protected yourself from becoming the same? Because it's also easy to fall in the same trap, right? So you could say, you know, my boss is, is that way. My boss is, I don't know, directive, pushing, unfair, whatever it could be, controlling. Um, and you could say, you know what? Somehow it seems to work or somehow it seems that this is how the world is. But I want to be different. And that's hard, right? I mean, that is, you know, swimming against the stream. So what 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 made you keep on course and not just well, following well, the stream? I think I, I think the, the the concept was that I've always been a bit of an idealist and wanted the world to be a little different, and I, I never sold out. I, I never sold out. That's one of the greatest compliments I ever received. Is even later in my career, you know, young people would come to me and go, you know, you you didn't sell out, and that was very flattering for me. You know, that even a young person, because it's interesting, the older in the young person's mind. Uh, the older generation screwed up everything and they're going to do it different. And that's a constant. <laughs> that's a constant <laughs> since the beginning of time. And so to <laughs> hold on to that part of you that, that it's not naive, but it is, uh, 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 it, it is idealistic, mm -hmm. but, but not naive. And, and so I, I think the thing is, is that I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have possessions. I didn't follow the normal route. I didn't, go home, save my money out of college, and then go start my career and get the house and get married and have kids. And I didn't follow the normal pattern. I just tried to follow 
you know, what I, what I felt inside that I needed to do. And I was very connected to that early in my career. And if I figured one thing that I, that I figured is that if I didn't own anything, if I had nothing to lose, then the man can't own me and I can be truer to myself and I can hold on to me and do what I, what I think I need to do. Uh, because I wasn't, of course, I didn't want to lose my job. Of course, I wanted to get a raise. Of course, I want the same things that other people want. It's just my priority was a little different. You know, my, 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 my thinking was to, to pursue my idealistic vision to the best of my degree and pursue progress, not perfection. Uh, I found per, per, perfection seems to serve others uh, and serve the bosses, whereas progress allowed me to pursue serving you know, my own ideals and my own desire to be the best leader I should be. And, and again, repeating myself to give to those what no one ever gave to me. And I think it was simply that desire to hold on to that is what allowed me to, you know, become the leader that I wanted to be. Though later in my career, I did lose sight for a little while, but you know, the trick is to come back to your nucleus when you spin out of control. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What, what would you say is so where, um, where has this idealistic view came from or these strong values you were just talking about? Is it just the way you were born or were there any experiences uh, early in your life, your childhood probably, or is it just natural? Well, I think, I think a lot of it is I don't see myself as talented though people have flattered me and said that, you know, I have talent. I don't see myself as talented and, whether it was athletics or scholastic or whatever, I always had to work hard. I didn't have natural talent, natural abilities. What I had was a work ethic. And I think that was instilled in me by my family uh, initially, but then also it grew out of the desire to, to be there. Um, uh, competition played a big part in my life and, and, you know, as sports growing up. And I think, To compete is, is okay, but it's a healthy competition. It, it's not a greedy competition. A greedy competition is win, win, win at all costs, whereas a healthy competition takes care of everybody and, and is part of the group and part of the team. And uh, there, there's a truth and practicality to that, that that doesn't always exist with individuals because they become very almost narcissistic in their pursuit of their, uh, of their goals and aspirations. Um, and, and so I would have to say it just came naturally to me for the most part, aside from the uh, initial lessons of my parents. My parents were older when they had children. They were about 35. So, you know, they had, they had a lot of experience before they had us. So, you know, instead of having kids when they're 20s, they were a little bit older, and I think that gave me a lot as well. You know, I was able to grow from their learnings. Mm -hmm. And when you said, you know, you you learned you learned from the from the bad from the bad behaviors or things you you didn't like, so it felt like you didn't feel you have been treated in a way by bosses as you wanted to be treated, and you felt like, okay, I don't want to give this, I want to fill this gap, I want to be different to other people, right? I want to, I don't want to feel, I want to. I don't want to bring other people to the same pain I'm receiving here on that side. So you, what I hear is you wanted to make a difference. 
But coming, being practical and being a little bit, you know, we, we talk quite a bit conceptual at the moment, but being practical, what does it mean in reality in the day-to-day if you work with your team or with your team at that time where you have been at your best in terms of leadership where you said, yes, I've truly followed my, my inner compass, how I believe leadership should be. How was that day-to-day? And probably it was still not like a, you know, there's... Oh, no, there's no. It was there, there's always this yeah, exactly, and this is what we need to find out. You know, you know, this kind of servant leadership doesn't mean easygoing, right? No, so, it, and, it, it it actually creates a lot of enemies. Mm-hmm. It creates a lot of enemies because when the people are saying, "Oh, ward this, oh, ward that, and oh, ward the other thing," well, you have your peers, your leadership peers, who become quite envious or quite angry because maybe they're not leading in the same way. So mm-hmm. their quickest reaction is to try to forgive the drama, but destroy you in order to allow them to have space to be the focus and the spotlight and take all the light. So they'll Mm -hmm. focus on destroying you and you don't ever see it. It's always in your back. But if you're looking over your shoulder, then you're not moving forward. So you've got to stay focused on the light and stay focused on the horizon. Mm. And, and, and if you, if you think back at the time, um, how was it working with with your team? So what have you done differently compared to your, your bosses or your other bad teachers? So what was the difference in the, in the day-to-day? Maybe you have a few examples where you say, look, this is what how I was being treated, which I didn't like, but this is how I treated my team, and that made the difference. Well, I think I think one of the greatest signs of respect is to actually listen to what another has to say. And one of the things that I tried to do was I tried to get to know the people I work with and spend personal time with them to create time for them. Um, it's not on my agenda or when it's convenient for me or it's not about the words that I want to say. It's about what they need to hear and how to what words to use so they can hear. They will always listen. But it's about being present and being there and available when they can hear, whether it's in the evenings after work, whether it's on the weekends when you have to work, whether it's in the middle of the day when you've got craziness going on, is to be able to create time for that person um, or, or that group and to find the right words. And like I said, they're not necessarily the words that you use for one person will be the same that you use for another person, but take time and get to know that person and understand who they are. And then now don't be afraid to share your own mistakes, your own problems, your own failures, your own vulnerabilities. Because what I want to do is I want people to be able to learn from my experiences and do not fall in the same holes that I fell into, but learn from learn to step around the holes that I fell into, get further down the road and find their own damn holes to fall into. <laughs> you know, I, 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 you know, and I think it was genuinely focusing on the success of the, of the people and the team that I'm responsible to, not for. When you're a leader, you're not responsible for people. You're responsible to people. And that's a big difference because a lot of people get into a leadership role and like it's like, okay, it's my time to be the boss. No, it's not your time to be the boss. It's your time to be the shepherd. Management's about shepherd, nurture, and teach. And that's it. It's not about you being the, the hero and getting all the getting all the glories. It's about, you know, helping other people better themselves and better their work and focusing on them as a human being and, 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 and trying to do that. And I don't know if I've answered your question as you asked it, but. Yeah, I think, I think it makes it, it makes it more touchable and more, uh, more 
more visible for me what, what it what it actually is. Um, but seeing that, listening to what you say, so it, it seems or it sounds like you're becoming much closer, more um you 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 step to a certain surface. You so you don't stay on a shallow surface, you go deeper with the relationship, yeah, right? Yeah. And and uh, yes, and and I think part of it, I think a great part of it, though I saw it as a weakness early on, but illustrating and showing vulnerability, telling my mm -hmm. story and sharing my story with people and letting them see where I failed and that I wasn't perfect. Mm -hmm. And it helped to stay focused on, prog on progress versus perfection. I think um, initially my intent wasn't to be vulnerable and to do that. It was simply pain and my need to talk and my need to mm -hmm. share, but okay. it turned into, it turned out to be an asset for those because it, me, me exposing myself first allowed them to expose themselves to me and to share with me. And then from that like, sharing, okay. I was able it's to help okay. them grow. You make yeah. it okay. Basically. It's okay. It's okay to not be perfect. It's so, you know, it, it's, it's okay not to succeed all the time. It's okay to fail. The trick is, is to get it out in the open and share it so that we can all grow from it. Because, mm. you know, you, you're never going to be perfect. And, you know, a lot of leaders will try to teach perfection. And, and, and I just find that a huge failure because teaching perfection is a built-in excuse in your own mind and your own subconscious for screwing up because it's totally unattainable. But if you teach perf the pursuit of perf progress, the pursuit of progress is highly attainable and a little bit every day, just a little bit better mm. today than you did yesterday. And that's highly attainable and, and will yield, you know, wonderful results. May I ask how old were you when you have taken on your first leadership role? My first leadership role wasn't a true leadership role. It's one we just kind of took. Um, I was asked to take over a piece of business and not give anybody to work with, and the role definitely called for it. So I got a couple of senior guys, three senior guys, to volunteer to work with me on our own. We came the phantom group. We were the non-group group. And I was probably <laughs> about 36 when that happened. But when I officially took over a leadership role, I was probably about 40. It was about the year 2000. It, it was interesting that it coincides with the millennia. But it, I, was at, I was about 40, and it was about the year 2000 or 40, 42, something like that. Uh, you know, it's like they, they wanted to keep me working. They wanted to keep me producing. They didn't want me to move into a management or leadership role. They wanted me producing content all the time. And for me, my passion was working with people. And that's what I want to do. You're going to get what I do all the time. You're always going to get what I do. That comes with the package. But what I want people to focus on and what I want to focus on was on who I am. I want them to focus on who I am, not just what I am. And as a result, I also try to focus on who people are, not just what they are. What they are may get the attention, but who they are is where growth lies and where the, where the challenge really lives, is in helping people to grow and being who they are, not what they are. I, I, I didn't learn what to be. I learned what not to be. <laughs> and so try to give to those everything that was never given to me. And, but at the same time, at the same time, this keeps, it's kept my energy up and kept me moving pretty good because I didn't get in a comfort zone. I didn't realize a comfort zone. I was always still hungry. And I, I remained hungry, and, and that, that hunger keeps me young, keeps me productive, and keeps me moving. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it keeps me very active, even today. You know, I, I get in environments where where I'm in a consulting role of, uh, as a leader, and I find myself having to motivate and inspire people to do more, be more, and and and, and achieve more. Uh, you know, and and a lot of that is is leadership by example, not by dictate. Mm-hmm. It's not me telling them what to do. It's me doing it first and leading by example so that they want to keep up and be a part of it and be a part of that strength and energy and that, that momentum as well. So it's leadership by example is always very important. And and for the your first team, so they were probably also used to a different style of leadership. And oh, yeah. yeah. You're <laughs> Uh, the the leader for them. So how how was it from their perspective? Because you well, you actually well, were treating them differently. And how how did this team emerged over time? Well, they were senior guys, and they were being, for lack of a better word, they were on the way to getting put out of the pasture. They they didn't belong to a group, and they were just being given assignments. And they were you know they didn't want to quit. They wanted to keep working. But I think they were on the way to being put out of the pasture and, you know, retired. And so one of the, the senior writer was very interested and felt that I had something to bring to the party. And he was the first one that wanted to come on board and work with me. And so um, what I tried to do was respect them and their seniority and learn from them, learn what I could from them because of their experience and, and take advantage of that and let that let that grow us. But the trick was never to be superior, never to be put myself in a position of superiority, but to put myself in a position as their, as their peer, as their colleague. Yes, I was having to make the decisions. Yes, management was turning to me for the answers. But I always treated those guys with respect and brought them into the room and kept them side by side. It wasn't me in front and them stand beside me. It was us on the hill, locked arm in arm together, always. And so it was us, it was us truly as a group, not as me with a group. And was it difficult uh, for for you to gain their respect when you said they were all a little bit older, more senior, or was it was it? A I think I don't think it was difficult to gain their respect because we'd worked together for several years already. We had been in the same group working together already, so they knew me and my work, and I think they were excited to be part of a, 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 a who was seen as a young guy in the group wanting to bring them in to work on young, fresh stuff, whereas people are usually going for what's new and what's fresh and what's the, what's the newest trick of the day. Here I was turning to experience and management, and that looked to me to provide, for lack of a better word, fresh thinking and use their experience to take that fresh thinking to the next level. So what happened is I was able to milk them as a cow, but at the same time they were milking me. So, you know, we were milking each other symbiotically you know we were sharing our experience it's a little bit like there was a movie called Moneyball and what happened is there are senior guys in experience that were getting put out in baseball they're getting shown the retired but they they had a talent they had a speciality they had something that was very good and very valuable but they couldn't get it for the money they they were used to getting paid and this guy went out and he hired them. He paid them less. He didn't have a big budget. So he hired the experience at a lesser fee and used that experience to build the rest of the team around those talents and specialities. So it was okay to pay the older guy less money, but let the older guy still shine and let him be respected and go out with respect. Uh, and I found that a very interesting thing. And, and it's funny, funny enough, I see myself in a very similar position today is that I'm hungry and desiring to, to give and produce. And, 
you know, I don't have the needs that I had financially, you know, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, even. And I can I can be truer to myself and at the same time accept less money in order to do what I would like to do, hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, if I if I just wind back a little bit, you said something which I have noted down here. I just wanted to 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 listen to finishing this conversation is you said I shared my vulnerabilities because not because you have read it somewhere like, oh, there's a concept, I should share my vulnerabilities, but it was more from your own desire and your own needs because it felt like there was a pressure in you building up and you, and the there was an, an exit to say, if I'm not sharing it now, I pop because I'm, it seems I cannot, there's so much pressure in me if I'm not sharing now that maybe, you know, I, you know, I don't have all the answers. I have, I have done mistakes as well. Yeah. So it came a little bit naturally And also it came, it felt like a release to you sharing it with your team. It was almost like therapy. I think people would see me sharing my vulnerabilities in general. And overall, people would see that as a weakness or a shortcoming, mm. that I shouldn't do it. As a manager, I shouldn't show my failures. I shouldn't show my shortcomings. I shouldn't show my fears. I shouldn't show my weaknesses. That's not what a manager does. Um, I, I had been through so much and so many things. Looking back at it now, maybe it was almost like suffering, but I needed to vent. Yes. And I didn't have anybody to vent to. I didn't have a mentor. So what I did is I shared, I, I, I turned it a little bit on its side and I shared it as a lesson so that people could, could learn from my mistake and grow from it. It happened naturally. It wasn't calculated. And when I would stop and think about it, I would think, oh my God, this is a weakness. I shouldn't be doing that. This is, this is not good management. But then in reality, I went ahead and did it anyway. And looking back, it turned out to be the, the greatest strength I had was exposing my weaknesses and my insecurities and my fears and my failures. And as I realized that, I began to tell people openly, says, look, I'm going to share all my shortcomings, all my failures, all my fears and all my insecurities with you. Because again, as I said earlier, I want you to step around the holes that I fell in in my career. I want you to miss step around them and get further down the road faster and find your own damn holes to fall into. Mm -hmm. And using a little levity and a little bit of humor there, you know, a little mm -hmm. bit of lightheartedness made it, made it okay, made it all right. And it, it, it turned out to be a great strength. But mm -hmm. again, if you're not present, if you're not present with people, there's not the opportunity to do that. There's, you know, again, it's being at work on time, being the first in, the last out. You know, a lot of managers, okay, it's my turn. I'll come in at 9.15 and I'll leave at five. I mean, that's not the way, that's not the way to do it. As a manager, you have more responsibility, so you're taking more on yourself. You should be anyway. I mean, they're paying you more, so you should be, you know, you should be sacrificing more. Um, and, and, and for the good of the people and being there when they're able to hear. Like I said, they'll always listen. But being available when they can actually hear and, and, and give something back to the conversation. How, how do you know that somebody's ready to hear? How do you recognize this? Um, how do you do that? They're, they'll show a weakness or a vulnerability. And, 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 and you'll see them struggling at their desk or you'll see them struggling in a meeting or, or whatever. And then you can go back to them after the meeting and you can open up yourself And if you give it yourself first, then they'll open up and give to you. Okay. But, you know, you do it in a, in, not in a, not yeah, in a patronizing or critical, but in a genuine and sincere care for their well-being, care for their growth, and care for the betterment of their situation. It's more of a feel thing. It's not, it's not something you can calculate intellectually necessarily. You have to feel it. In order to feel, you've got to be present with people and be around them at, at, 
at the odd times. Because how many of us have been in that slot where we're at 10 o'clock alone? There's a joke about the art director sitting alone at his desk in the middle of the night. That's when he's ready to talk. <laughs> That's when he's ready to hear. You know, those are the times that they're, they're available. Or if they're crashing in, a, crunching for a meeting and, they're, and they had to come in at 730 in the morning to finish up and get ready. You don't necessarily have to say anything or do anything. It's just being there. A lot of times it's just being there, and then other times it's just listening. You don't necessarily have to say anything. It's just being available to listen and, uh, and try to understand. It's more of a feel. It's not, it's not something you can calculate. But if you're not present during, during, the, the, during the difficult times, you know, you're not going to be able to feel. You're not going to be able to be sensitive to it. You're not going to be able to tell. So it, it's asking more of yourself rather than asking more of the people. And it's, I think it's really about your attitude, how you uh, interfere with, with people, and is it really meant in a, in a positive way and not, as you said, in a... Well, uh, and are you a giver or a taker? Are you taking their work to better yourself or are you giving so that they can, so they can better their work for themselves? It, it's, you know, and I think it's a good question for somebody to look in the mirror and ask yourself, are you a taker or are you a giver? A true leader is a giver. My, I have an adopted family. My adopted family is Lakota Indian. They live on Pine Ridge, which is one of the poorest counties in, 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 in all of America. And, and they define a warrior not as someone who goes out, conquers, and destroys for profit, gain, and fame, and fortune. A warrior is defined simply as one who serves the people, full stop. And when, I, when these people took me in and found me, I was on a motorcycle ride, and the old man who's a uh, holy man took me in to the family back in, I guess, before 1990 or whatever. But I found the people that their, their old traditional ways were very much in keeping with what I felt internally, which I didn't see exhibited in the Western world. But I found out that through these people that maybe it's not me that's not getting it. Maybe it's, you know, maybe, maybe I am getting it. I just see things differently than, than the contemporary Western business world. And so a lot of the things I've learned from them and that they shared with me and the old ways of living and the old ways of saying things helped me with my leadership abilities and my leadership skills as a, as a well, servant. So what, 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 that is very interesting what you said is, you know, being on your motorbike out there, meeting this really special people and you're questioning in your head yourself, like me in the Western world out there, I feel, uh, is it, is it? Is it the right way I'm leading? Is it the right way I'm thinking? You're even questioning yourself. And oh, you need yeah. to go in a completely different place and meet really different people to find out, no, actually, my thinking is right. It seems like the society and system out there is wrong, right? Well, it's and a selfishness, a greed versus a give. Yeah. And, and because I was different, I thought that maybe there's something wrong with me, but I never yeah. sold out. I held on to me. I held on to me, but... No, learning and meeting these people and learning the old traditional ways gave me strength to go back in and hold on to my values and to grow my values and to, to bolster my values and, and, you know, help me. In. And it really is a warrior's, you know, one who serves the people. I mean, that's the best way to look at it. We get all twisted up in our superficial and our material world of conquer, destroy, profit, gain, fame and fortune. It's like the difference between it's like ambition versus aspiration, you know. And, and, and clever versus work smart before you get hard. I mean, we, we, we look upon ambition as a virtue now. When did ambition become a virtue and clever become a compliment? Ambition steps on people. It hurts people. It destroys to gain and to, to move forward. Where aspiration 
brings everybody along with you. Mm-hmm. So in the context of aspiration, I'm very much against ambition. I don't think ambition is, is a virtue. Aspiration is a virtue. But ambition is, is more selfish, more narcissistic. And clever, I can say this so you think it's that when it's really something else. Let's all work smart before we work hard. But I'm not about being clever. It's not about saying things in a funny way of how you say it so that it can be twisted and misinterpreted, and that's how I get ahead. I'm not into clever, and I'm not into ambition. Aspiration and work smart before you work hard. It's interesting that you say that. I was thinking of putting myself in your shoes. I never worked in the marketing world or in this in this kind of world, but it's putting myself back in that time when you when the when the air was hot and the shit hit the hits the fan, right? There's his boss. There's his big company. I don't know. You know, there are all these famous brands out there. We just talked about at the beginning, and there there is a lot on stake with with the next campaign, right? Oh yeah. If this, yeah. If you this know, what, have you, what have you done for me lately? <laughs> Yeah, if that campaign is out and it goes wrong, you lose a lot of money or you miss a lot of opportunities in terms of money, right? So there's a lot on stake. And we not talk about millions, we can talk about billions here. So, and then, you know, all this pressure suddenly arrives on your shoulder and, and sometimes in the form and the shape of a boss <laughs> or not. Yeah, and, they, and they, they say, hey, you idiot, what are you doing actually? Are you wasting our time? Are you getting us somewhere, right? So how do you make sure that when this shit hits the fan that you are not compromising the way you lead, the way you work, because I can imagine that is that is not easy. Well, it, is... it actually happened to me uh, toward the toward the end of my time with the last company I worked with. It actually it actually happened to me when I let me say I have to step back a little bit. When I came back to Chicago from Germany in 2007, I didn't want to live in the city anymore. I just didn't want to live in the city. I wanted quiet. And I wanted some peace because I'd been so intense. I just wanted some quiet and some peace. I took a break before I came back for three months and went to Bhutan. But I came back and I looked for a house outside the city. I was willing to do the commute. And so I found a wonderful place on three acres of land with a, with a, with a lake in the backyard. And it was, a, it was a, not an expensive house. It needed to have some work done on it. But I found my place you know, where I could rest. I didn't want to go out on the weekends anymore. I would go out on the weekends to be current and to go to clubs and find out what's happening. But other than that, I wanted to be home and just, you know, I get drained during the week and on the weekend recover and have my quiet time. But I had forgotten my old adage, if I don't own anything, the man can't own me. So I took on this mortgage. Aha, now I got a burden. And then as my parents got older, I had to take them on some of their financial responsibilities. Aha, there's another. And then I got married and I've had those responsibilities. And so, you know, the normal way of life, but I took on these responsibilities that I'd never had before. And you move ahead 10 years or so, um, I'm in a situation where several of the businesses I'm working on are under a lot of pressure. And the, the manager I had was not of the same ilk as myself. And so he put a lot of pressure on me. He came at me a lot. And so I became more focused on satisfying him and satisfying the needs of the business, quote unquote, in front as a priority versus taking care of the people first. And my, my first focus was on answering their needs and their wants and, and their desires of the bosses. And so I lost track of being present with the people to the degree that I need to be. I thought I was balancing it, but looking back now, I wasn't. My priorities shifted. And as a result, we didn't succeed as much. If I can look back and do it different, I can't pinpoint little things and say I should have done this, that, and the other thing. But what I can overall is say that I should have been more present with the people. 
I was there and I was working and I was doing a lot of things I'd always done, mm-hmm. but I, I wasn't symbiotically in touch with the people to the degree that I had been earlier in, mm-hmm. in my leadership career. And mm-hmm. as a result, you know, we didn't succeed to the degree that, that we could. And, and I became sick. Uh, mm-hmm. I developed uh, a colitis, which is internal bleeding illness and had to take leave from work. So not only did we not succeed as a business to the degree that, that, you know, I would like, but, you know, also it took its toll on me as well, physically. Mm. So that sounds like lose, lose, lose. So the people yeah. uh, couldn't have done their best uh, to, up to their potential. The well, business. they did good, but I was, I was, I was focused. I wasn't focused on servicing the people to the degree that I had been in the past. Because if I'd held on to the, the principle, it's almost cliche now, but take care of the people in the business will take care of yourself. That proved itself true in spades. Um, so you live and learn, you know. Hold on. The story will be continued in a couple of days. <laughs>